Imagine this. You just finished watching Spider-Man No Way Home at the movie theater. It was awesome. You had a great time. You're there. The whole theater's packed. And the movie's over. The credits are rolling. You're getting up out of your seat. You're walking down the aisle to get out of the movie theater. And then all of a sudden, someone at the front of the movie theater, right next to the screen, stands up and starts yelling. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will save you. This life here is just short life. We don't know about tomorrow. But if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you, you will have everlasting life. So Jesus loves you. Keep these words. It's in your heart. Thank you. How do you feel in that moment? What do you do? If you're a Christian, I know some people would say, yes, that's awesome. Praise God. But if you're not a Christian, how does that make you feel? Now, I'm convinced that the gentleman sharing his faith here was doing it out of pure and loving intentions. And I know that English is not his first language as well. So I know there's a lot of cultural factors that go into this as well. However, is that effective? Some people would say, well, it doesn't matter if it's effective. He shared the gospel. In modern American evangelical Christianity, this is a common dichotomy. At least I've observed amongst American evangelical Christians that as long as you share the gospel and you share your faith with people, it's basically no holds barred. You can do whatever you want as long as it's not sinful. And that leads me to ask the question, at what point does it become sinful if it's offending people? Let's talk about it. It's meme lord time. If this is your first time listening to Meme Lord Monday, welcome. This is a Christian podcast where we interview Christian creators and help you find the meme in everyday life. My buddy Mike and I have been making memes for years, and this is what we do. We have an online community on Instagram and Facebook of about 800,000 followers total. And we like to interact with them and ask them questions about how to live Christian life in a way that isn't cringy. This is a special bonus episode where... This is actually an Instagram live that was recorded in front of several hundred people. And I spoke with Joe Lumen, who I'll let her introduce herself right here. So my name is Joe Lumen, and I am an ordained pastor and I am now mostly a writer. I do a lot of work online and offline talking about decolonizing theology, which makes people very uncomfortable, which is okay. You know, it's just asking the ways, asking how are the ways in which this faith of ours, I still consider myself a Christian after fighting with this faith for so long. I worked inside of a church, walked away, but the, the question is, how do we ensure that this faith of ours that is so meaningful to me doesn't cause harm to people groups, especially marginalized people groups, which are the people groups that Jesus was the most committed to and talked to the most. So that's what I do. I ask that question and I answer that question over and over again in different spaces. And that's basically the work that I've been doing. My children will come in and out and I'll be... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's fine. That's perfectly fine. So I really appreciate Joe, even though she is what's known to be a controversial figure on the internet from what I've seen. And due to her views, she holds a lot of unorthodox views that she would say herself, she does not hold to orthodox Christianity. And which is why she mentioned that she considers herself a Christian, whereas many would not. Personally, I disagree with a lot of her fundamental views of Christianity and just a lot of other stances that she holds. But regardless of that, I feel that her perspective on this particular subject of evangelism and how we can do it more effectively is amazing. And I think you will really enjoy it as well, even if you might not agree with everything she says. My friend Matt, or as I like to call him, Matty V, helps run a page called The Honest Youth Pastor, and he was actually able to join us in this discussion. I'll let him introduce himself here. Hey, yeah, I am Matt. I am a co-admin on Honest Youth Pastor. Uh, I'm also on work on a pastoral staff. I'm currently working on my PhD in New Testament studies. And uh, so, yeah, here we are. The stage is set. We have our participants, Joe and Maddie. But before we begin, 
If you're listening to this and you're a creator, a pastor, a business owner, or deal with anything related to social media and need help growing a thriving community, for a limited time, I am offering my services as a social media consultant. For years, I've been growing followers and communities for brands and businesses. I've run social media pages with hundreds of thousands of followers, and I've created content that has been interacted with by millions. In fact, the discussion you're about to hear was viewed live on Instagram by hundreds of people. If you want help turning your social media into a thriving, active community, hit me up. Information on how to apply is in the description of this episode. All right, that's my shameless plug. Let's get back to the show. I'm really excited about this, guys. We have the notorious Joe Lumen with us <laughs> in all her glory. And Maddie V, thank you so much for coming. So I'm just going to let the cat out the bag, address the elephant in the room. Obviously, when we, when I go live with other people, it brings their audiences together. And all of our audiences are very, very different from each other. So I just want to say to those watching in the comments, let's keep it respectful. You will disagree with one or two or three of the things that are mentioned here in the live. But uh, this is a discussion. This is not something that we're here to fight about. We're here to just speak to one another and listen to one another. And that's all I'm interested in. I'm a meme page. I'm not a church. So you can't say, oh, you can't do that. I mean, I can talk to whoever I want. So <laughs> suck an egg. <laughs> suck an egg, y'all. <laughs> Dude, y'all can do that. That's a Ren and Stimpy reference, for, by the way. So that, that's, that shows how old I am. Anyways, let's, let's get into it. Joe, so what initially encouraged me to reach out to you was your, the distinction I saw you make between proselytizing and evangelism. And I thought it was brilliant. I thought I was personally, I think it's wonderful. Would you be able to just break that down for, for everyone watching? Yeah. So I've spoken before, which has gotten me in a little bit of trouble, about how proselytizing, in my opinion, is always violence. And the reason for that is because proselytizing is coercive. Proselytizing is not an invitation to get to know more, it's not an invitation to see, and it's not an invitation to listen to the other person, but instead is uh it's this coercive, I'm coming to convince you to adopt something that I have that is good for you, regardless of how much I know about you or anything like that. And and the the history of Christian violent proselytizing is long. We've caused so much harm with this violent proselytizing where we go into places that are vulnerable and we dangle Jesus as though it's a trinket that we're selling. And we say, see, like you have all these issues, but I have this Jesus that will make you feel better. And I feel like that is not the Jesus that I know. And instead, there is this other side for me that is evangelizing or sharing your faith, which comes with uh, consent. So it's more let me talk to you and let me, I, I don't have to convince anybody that the faith that I follow is meaningful and good and deep and it transform, it's transformative. I don't have to convince them by being manipulative. Um, you know, I don't have to use any manipulation, which is proselytizing, using manipulation to change people's minds in order to convince them to agree with me. But instead I can share my faith and I can love people and I can care for people and I can get to the margins and say, I'm going to stand with you. And just like Jesus that stood with sex workers say, whoever is free of sin can throw the first stone. And this was an intentional, I'm going to stand with the marginalized, the standing with women and standing with all these different people groups with Samaritans to say, I don't have to convince you. Jesus is always asking questions and inviting people to conversation. Proselytizing doesn't do that. Proselytizing is I'm here and I'm the expert. That's the positionality of proselytizing. I'm here mm. and I'm the expert in everything spiritual. I'm the expert in God. And I'm going to tell you what you need instead of I'm here and I am just this human who has very little knowledge of the vastness that is God. And I'm going to share with you what it's done for me. And however you want to, like, whatever you want to do with that is between you and God, not between me, you and God. It's between you and God. So I make that differentiation and I say all proselytizing is violent because it comes from a positionality of superiority. I'm better than you not knowing people's stories or their own nothing. There is no curiosity in proselytizing. Evangelism mm. is more, it's more curious. And evangelism has been co-opted and used in such harmful ways too. So I talk about sharing sometimes, but evangelism is more about sharing than it is about convincing. Mm. 
The internet is more accessible than it's ever been. And with that has come an absolute pandemic of people addicted to pornography. This addiction statistically is affecting Christians and non-Christians alike. It's a problem. Porn is a human problem, but Covenant Eyes provides a human solution. Covenant Eyes helps you and the ones you love live porn-free through transformative accountability relationships. With Covenant Eyes, you choose someone that you know and trust to walk with you as your ally and to hold you accountable for your online behavior. Me and my friends use it, and I've seen it firsthand break the bonds of addiction in people's lives. This stuff works. So basically what you do is you download the Covenant Eyes app, it tracks the activity on your devices, and your friend who's your ally gets a victory app which shares your activity feed right to their phone. You and your ally will be able to celebrate victories together and have honest and caring conversations about your successes, setbacks, and triggers. Nothing works better than this. If you struggle with pornography addiction online and you're ready to see some victory in your life, download Covenant Eyes and use promo code MONDAY for 30 days free. Try it out. I've gotten so many success stories from this app, and that's why I'm so happy that they've chosen to sponsor Meme Lord Monday. Again, that's Covenant Eyes. Use the link in the show notes of this episode and use promo code MONDAY for 30 days free. Victory over addiction has never been easier. Hmm. So just uh, to help clarify for those uh, watching, proselytizing would you equate that to manipulation or what would be like a good word you'd say that would be like the equivalent of the way you're defining i think it's my proselytizing i think it's manipulative coercion yeah okay and then evangelism would be how would you define that in like more of a nutshell sharing is just sharing your faith Okay. okay yeah and personally why i like this definition is because there is a movement that's that is almost trying to say that all witnessing is proselytizing and all sharing of the faith is is abusive and manipulative and coercive in a violent way. But I like what Joe's definition is because it, it actually leaves room for evangelism in the way that I think scripture speaks of where you share it and you are caring when you do so. So I, I like that because I've seen like the very, very extreme end of what people have done with the definition. And I think you're you're pretty square in the middle as far as people who might share similar views. Would you say that's a fair assessment? Well, I lead with curiosity. So uh, for instance, I was in Turkey for about, for a a long period of time. And in Turkey, I met a lot of Turkish Muslim people. It's a majority Muslim people. These are the people who actually taught me about sharing as opposed to evangelizing, because all my experiences with Christianity have been Western Christianity. And so they would invite me to dinner and care for me. And the, the most hospitable people that I have ever met in my life, I found in Turkey, where they were caring for my children and for me. And they opened a restaurant at 11 p.m. when I landed because it was so late. And they saw that I had three kids. And this guy goes like, no, don't worry. I'll open the restaurant for you. They never, not once, asked me, do you want to know about Allah? Never. Do you do you know anything about Muhammad? Never. But I kept asking questions. I would never convert to to, to uh, Islam. That's not, you know, I, I have no interest. But I was so curious about their faith. And my curiosity, they would answer with honesty. And it changed all of the Islamophobia that I had inside of me, thinking that Muslim people had all these, like, things inside of them that they wanted to convert me, that they hated Christians. They were like, no, we don't. I, like, not at all. You're talking about the extremes, you know, the, the, the extreme people that are Muslims. And seeing them that way made me feel made me feel loved. And I realized that that's not how I came off as a Christian. It was not, you know, I would I would go to Mexico. I live close to Mexico and we would do these like mission trips, like short mission trips. And it was coercive. It was dangling Jesus to make people come to convince them instead of just opening a restaurant and saying, I'll still, I'll open the restaurant. You have children. Of course, I'll care for you. Of course, which made people, which made me so curious about their faith. And I realized that's, and then I met a lot of missionaries in Turkey. They've been there for 30 years and they said, we never proselytize. All we do is we care for our literal neighbors. All of our 99% of people in Turkey are Muslim. They said, we care for our neighbors. So when our neighbors are sick, we're the first to bring food. When our neighbors need something, we're the first there. We are there all the time. We keep showing up. And that has made people incredibly curious about Christianity more than being coercive and abrasive, more than being abrasive would ever invite 
a, a, a true a true conversation. It, it pushes people away. But instead, if it's this, I'll care for you, I'll love for you, how can we serve you better? How can we serve these communities? It has made people so widely curious about Christianity. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, no, I, I like that. And I think there's a lot to be said about the, the discipline and the actions of the Muslim community. I've seen it myself. I've worked with people that are Muslim and they are very devout in ways that convict me of my own faith in Christ. I'm like, man, I should I should probably step my game up. <laughs> These guys are <laughs> yeah. amazing. But yeah, so that's that's Joe's position. I know that Michael initially, when I presented this to him, he did disagree with Joe's position. Now that you've kind of heard it fleshed out, what I mean, what are your thoughts, Matt? So if you're listening to this and you're like, wow, Joe is so smart. I don't quite understand a lot of the words she's saying. Don't feel bad. This was me. I had to listen to this a few times myself in order to fully grasp a lot of the concepts that are being presented here. But I just want to let you know, it's not going to get any easier here. Maddie V is a seminarian and he basically talks like a professor himself. So get ready for that. Well, you know, my area of expertise is in the studies of the text. So I'm, I'm going to approach it from that way because that that is my training. So mm-hmm. think of these terms, proselytizing and evangelism. Proselytizing comes from, from a word, proserkomai, which means that I, I approach or that I come. And in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for a stranger or a foreigner who is living in the land of Israel but is not being required to uh, circumcise their children, not being required to obey all of the feasts, they are called gore. And then when the, when the Old Testament was translated into Greek with the Septuagint, they used the noun form of this word, proserkomai, to, to translate this kind of people as proselytes or people who lived in the land but were not fully brought into a strict keeping of the Mosaic Law. If we were to give, like, as you said earlier, a definition to what we are saying is proselytizing, it would be uh, coercive manipulation. So now when we look at evangelism, and if we're going to make a distinction between these two things, the word evangelism comes from euangelion, and it literally means good news. Now through Greek history, it is usually used in the terms of like a military victory or economic success, the the birth of a royal child, something good that is happening in the world. And so many times the euangelion, the good news, is the idea that Caesar is king. So when the Septuagintal Jews translated this word in Isaiah chapter 52, says, how beautiful upon the mountains as the feet of the one who is Yuangalizomenu, who is announcing the good news of peace and announcing the good news of uh, salvation, saying, Sion Basileosei Suhetheos, Zion, your king is God. And so when we get into the Gospels and the stories of Jesus, as Jesus begins his ministry, he takes this idea from the translators of Isaiah that the good news is someone who announces peace, who announces salvation, and that God is king rather rather than Caesar. And so you have Jesus coming on the scene, and he says that the kingdom of God has come near or it is among us, and then he says these words. He says, repent and believe the good news. And of course, when he says the good news, he's referencing this idea that in a, in a, a Jewish context that Yahweh is king. Now, of course, we continue on through Jesus' life. The very first words that we have him speaking in many of these gospels um, are metanoiete, Kai pestuete, which are the imperative forms, which means that Jesus is giving a command 
uh, to turn and believe in this good news. So my response to that would be that if we are not to be announcing these things in a way that is bringing the good news, and I'm not, I'm not saying coercive manipulation, but even Jesus, or at least the way that the writers portray him, he uses these imperative commands that you must repent and you must believe in this good news, that Yahweh is king. And from that basis, everything else flows. If our message does not flow from these core principles, then, then what, what is the essence of Christianity? If those who believe something are not morally obligated by their belief to share what they believe to be good for other people, then is there even any good news? If we have good news, we believe that we have good news, but we have no desire to share it. I don't think it's about desire to share it. I think it's about respectfully sharing it. I think it's about considering the ways in which you share it and understanding that there is a big chasm, giant chasm between sharing what you believe and demanding that the person that you're sharing it with agrees with you. There's a huge chasm there. Isaiah 52 specifically says what you said. It talks about this good news, right? That there there is peace and that the king is God. And Jesus, as a Jewish man, because Jesus was not a Christian, as a Jewish man, that's literally what Jesus was talking about. We do not have to be happy that Caesar is king because Caesar is an oppressor, was an oppressor of the Jewish people and continued to be an oppressor of the Jewish people after Jesus. Not only did the entire empire continue to be oppressive to Jewish people, but it continued to be oppressive to Christians until the Christians became the official religion of the empire with Theodosius I. And at that point, Christians were the ones that became the oppressive force behind the empire. It was using the narratives of Christianity, co-opting and appropriating the narratives of Christianity to oppress people, including Jewish people. If Christians would have existed at the same time as Jesus, we would have been behind his murder. We would have been behind his murder because the Roman Empire was the one that killed Jesus. Now, that being said, the good news is exactly what you said, that peace is at hand, that the kingdom of heaven is here and now. And is that a story worth telling? Absolutely. It's a story worth telling for me. And it's a story that I will die telling that the kingdom of the kingdom of heaven is here and at hand, right here and at hand. Because if all we can offer people, people, especially people that are oppressed, people that are dying, people that are suffering, the 20,000 people every day, every day, 20,000 people die of hunger. And the only thing that I have to offer to them is when you die, perhaps you can see me there. That is not good news at all. But if I can say, you know what, the kingdom of heaven is here and now. And if every single, there are billions of Christians. And if every single one of us was deeply committed to bringing that kingdom of heaven here and now, tell me that everybody would not turn around and say, I want a piece of that God that you are speaking of because you're bringing the kingdom of heaven here and now and not simply promising me that one day when I die after an entire lifetime of oppression, perhaps, maybe, if I say Jesus three times and clap my heels, I will see you and have a good day. No, I have more than that. God has more to offer than just a promise of heaven in the afterlife. There is heaven here and now. So let me just sidetrack here a second. Somebody asked, I think this is for Joe. Somebody asked, my question would be, when Jesus started his ministry and told people to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, would that be proselytizing or evangelism? Yeah, no, it is evangelism. Uh, It had nothing to do with proselytizing. In fact, Jesus very, very rarely talked to non-Jews. Um, he was talking, even, even when he was talking to Samaritans, Samaritans were still following a lot of Jewish law and a lot of Jewish beliefs. So Jesus wasn't really proselytizing. He wasn't trying to, he wasn't talking to Gentiles. Instead, he was inviting his fellow Jewish people to be the, the light on the hill, to be the people chosen by God. And the understanding of chosen that Jewish people have is very different than the understanding of chosen that Christians have. The, so it's this idea of being the chosen people who are bringing peace on earth. 
earth, who are bringing heaven to earth. We are the chosen people. And so the invitation is to stop letting yourself be dazzled by the empire and by the things that the empire is offering you. Uh, and when he says, like, go to that fish and open its mouth, what's there? And what's the image there? It says, you know, Caesar's. Well, to Caesar's, what is Caesar's? And to me, like to, to God, what is God's? Which is... You know, that's the image of Caesar. Money is the image of, of, of Caesar. Mammon is the image of Caesar. Don't don't worship that. That's the worship of the empire. Instead, worship God and being the kingdom of heaven to earth. And that's the invitation of evangelism. That's the good news, that we don't have to let ourselves be distracted by the dazzling lights of empire, right, of, of money and power. But instead, that our job here on earth is to bring heaven uh, to all, but particularly starting by the marginalized. I guess, yeah, that, that kind of helps where I was going to go, because my next question was going to be, I think a lot of people when they uh, will proselytize, so to speak, they will share their faith in a way that is almost blatantly offensive because they they see Christ in Scripture being offensive to those who don't want to hear, repent of your sins because the kingdom of heaven is here. And, and so that's why I think people go that way. At least that's what I observe. But it, it helps me to understand how you're understanding the actual good news that's being presented. Um, Maddie, do you have any just thoughts about how she's defined that? Yeah, no, I, I find myself agreeing with a majority of, of what Joe was saying. I would there there are there are various fine points that that we wouldn't be able to work out work out here. But I, I can definitely yeah. agree with her in the fact that the message that Jesus was preaching during the majority of his ministry while he was on earth was in an explicitly Jewish context. And he was within, he was within the nation of Israel speaking to his own people, commanding them to repent of their sins because of the chief sins being idolatry and sexual immorality and neglect of the poor. Those three things were the big heavy hitters that Jesus was, what was, was proclaiming repentance from just as the prophets who came before him. And so I, I totally a- agree with that. And it reminds me of even in James, when James says, if someone comes to you hungry or thirsty and you say, just go and, and, and be full, but don't actually give them something to eat, then it's of no use. And so I can totally get behind the idea that if we are preaching a gospel the, a good news about Jesus that is entirely disconnected from ministering to the daily, immediate, physical, earthly needs of people, then that is a very empty kind of good news. And I think what's happened historically and even into the modern day that we have truncated the gospel into one aspect. And we have taken that one aspect and essentially blown it out of proportion to the point to where that's all that we see. And people consider it to be the most important aspect, per se. Uh, But just because it's the the biggest or the most important doesn't mean that it's the only thing that is being addressed in the news that the church is being called to, to live out and to speak. So I guess my question for both of you then is, why do people, from a practical standpoint, why do you think people are violent with the way that they share Jesus Christ with other people? Why do you think that is, uh, Joe? I'll ask you first. Yeah. Well, there is a history of this, right? Um, There is a history of powerful people co-opting and appropriating the ideologies of Christianity to be able to justify violence. Um, you know, and, and the, the first conversations we have about that are conversations about just war. Is it just to have war? Is it just for us as Christians that are now a part of the empire? And for that, we can listen to like read Augustine first and then move over to Thomas Aquinas, who are the two people that talk the most about just war. And I cannot get behind the just war theory. I cannot, because the idea is it is just, there are three 
the specific tenets that Augustine first says is uh, war is just and we can be violent, physically violent and murder people if these three things are happening. One, if the authorities are saying that it is good because all authority is established by God. But who are the authorities? The powerful, right? So that gets really very messy quick. Uh, and I don't remember the other two, but basically it's if God, if it's against people that are against God, oh, if we are destroying evil. So if we are destroying evil, it's okay. But who were they calling evil? Non-believers, non-Christians. And in this way, the entire inquisition was justified. The murders of Muslims were justified. The pogroms were justified. The murdering of Jews was justified because it was a just war. And that's not something that is happening all the way there in the thousands and the 1200s. That is something that happened with the war on terror. The language of just war was used inside of the war of terror. They said, we have to go over there. We have to go to Afghanistan and we have to go to all of these places and we have to destroy evil. And when we look at the numbers, the majority of their people, of the people that were killed were just Muslim civilians. It was justified through Christian theology that had infiltrated American politics. And because our psyche, the Christian psyche, has been conditioned for the last 1700 years to believe that we are justified in killing others if we are doing it for the purpose of good and moving the gospel forward, then we are okay with it. So this is a history. There is a history. Um, the justifying of taking of land, uh, the justifying of murdering and putting, taking children away from Native Americans and putting them in boarding schools. They, they they removed children and put them in boarding schools. And the saying was, kill the Indian and save the child or save their soul. That is the justification. That's that's horrific violence that all of us Christians have to repent from. And the justification was proselytizing. So long as we make them Christians, we are justified in removing these children from them. But the reality is that if we are only caring to make them Christians instead of listening to them, I believe that Christians would have learned so much if they would have sat with indigenous people of what we call America, the entire landmass, if they would have met them with curiosity, if they would have said, like, tell me more about how you believe things. Tell me more about what you believe. Why do you believe that? Where does that come from? Oh, that's so interesting. But instead, it was you are wrong, even though I know nothing about what you believe. You're wrong. I'm right. And you need to adopt what I say. And I will make you believe this, whether you want to or not. And one of the ways in which they do that was through physical violence or removing children. So of course, like indigenous people, a lot of indigenous people converted, many chose to die. And the stories of that are incredible. But a lot of them said, yeah, I'll convert for, for the purpose of protecting my children. The same with enslaved, enslaved people from Africa, the same with many other different people groups. And so the violence of proselytizing, though it seems like it's all far away, we still have it today. It just becomes more normalized because the violence is now we're going to go and we're going to save them. And in the meantime, do a lot of different things in like mission trips in Africa, mission trips in South America and Central America, where communities are actually being harmed um, because they are not being listened to. Is this idea that I come because I know better than you because I'm a Christian, instead of perhaps we can work together and I can listen to you. And my goal is not to convert you to my religion, but to partner with you so that you have a better life. And if that makes you curious about my religion, awesome. But if not, I can believe that I did the best thing that I could. Um, my faith seeps out of my pores anyways, so they'll see it, but I don't have to be coercive mm. about it and violent about it. It's funny that you mentioned the uh, like the, the short-term missions that we'll see churches doing. We make so many memes about that, <laughs> where it's like Spider-Man, where he's taking pictures of Mary Jane, and the caption will say, you know, Christians visiting a third world country. Nice. <laughs> Just take pictures. I, I mean, we laugh at it, but it it is sad. You know, there's times that we can not represent ourselves well as Christians or be well-meaning and actually be harmful with the way that we represent ourselves. Matt, I'll present the same question to you just a bit different because I, I, I asked Joe, how is it that Christians have been violent uh, with the way we've shared our faith? And she, she provided uh, a, a ton of examples through history and, and even present day type things. But for my question for you, is it possible to be violent with sharing your faith? Because I think you see a lot of Christians, even like in the comments right now, people are like, well, Jesus offended people, so we just need to stand up and not care what, what man thinks. We got to think, we got to care what God thinks. What do you think about that? 
I think that if we could have witnessed the reaction of Jesus in the literally hundreds, well over a thousand years, 1500 years worth of violence in his name, that his his face would be completely and entirely appalled and mm. ashamed that those things were done in his name. And I, I agree, that is something that needs to be uh, made known in our churches that, that adhere to historical, traditional Christian traditions, denominations, what have you, and that we own up to our ancestors in the faith and say these things were appalling. We are going to do better than that for the sake of our God. And I think, you know, I, I, come, I come from a Pentecostal background, and in the early 1900s when the, when the Pentecostal uh, movement first broke out, we were very much pacifists. There were those <laughs> in the Pentecostal tradition who, who went AWOL when they were drafted into either of the world wars. Uh, sadly, my tradition lost that uh, after the world war, so right around the, the, the middle of the 20th century. Um, but I think that with a lot of revivalist movements, there is that desire to return to the texts and to return to the examples that Christ gave. And I look through the Gospels, and I, I, I can agree with Joe. I, I see nowhere of Jesus speaking of just war theory and the times and places that violence could ever be justified in order to further the gospel. The command that Jesus gave them was that they would be martyros, where we get the word martyrs, but it literally just means witnesses. Actually, Jesus told them that they would be sacrificing themselves for others in the same way that he had sacrificed himself for them. And even though there are pockets of, of redeemable aspects of Christianity. I don't think that all of historic Christianity absolutely, you know, forsaken, but I do think that those things that were wrong should not be brushed under the rug, but they should be brought out and they should be teaching tools and saying that we're not going to repeat those in the same mistakes. And, and I think that in much of at least the Western world or the places that we inhabit, there are no crusaders, who are going through villages and doing doing this and that. There are no conquistadors in Central America. And so that is a plus, I, I would say, that we have at least come that far to where the widespread violence in the name of the church and in the name of Christ has ceased. Um, but I do agree that the violence is sometimes in other forms. And most of the time it takes the place of verbal violence, essentially in this day and age. Instead of physical violence, we, you know, we go and hold people down and say, well, you're either going to convert or we're going to burn you at the stake and take your children away from you, whatever it is. But, but instead, we, sometimes we do tend to become extremely overzealous. And, and it reminds me many times of when the disciples see this other group of people who are preaching in the name of Jesus, and they say, Lord, these people aren't following us. Do you are down from heaven and consume these people and jesus is like where in the world did that idea come from <laughs> it's, it's, as, as a teaching example of this is what you're not supposed to be like and i think that there have always been a remnant of those who hold true to the pure message of christ um, but sadly the majority has oftentimes ruined and tarned and stained the the reputation of of the church and and of Christ and so i think that it is definitely possible to do let's we'll say you know verbal violence or emotional mental violence whatever you want to call it in this day and age and i think that it comes from untempered zeal and you're mm. given information and these people who are are proselytizing are giving this ultimatum, and in their mind, from their perspective, they think that they are doing the right thing. 
Um, I think that that is a failure in the modern church in terms of discipleship and a lack of true training in evangelism. Mm -hmm. I do think that there are times and places for public pronouncements when they are when they are appropriate, uh, because there are certainly inappropriate contexts in which to go into this into this rant. A lot of times, you know, we we look at at Paul on Mars Hill and we say, oh, well, Paul stood up right in the, right on top of that big rock and started preaching to the group of people. But when you look back at the previous verse, when Paul arrived in Athens, the first place that he went was to the synagogue. And in the synagogue, he spoke with the Jews and with and with uh, converts from from the Gentile nations, those those those, those those proselytes. And he reasoned with them. And word got around that there's this guy who's in Athens and he's telling people that this guy came back from the dead. And so people get interested and curious. And the Stoics and some of the other philosophers actually say, hey, why don't you come to the Areopago or the the Areopagus and share what you've been talking about? And so I think that there's a good medium there because you have both things going on. You have someone who is being proactive in sharing and explaining and defending the faith with Paul, spreading this, this news that as Yahweh was king, now Jesus is being interpreted as king. And Jesus has been the first fruits from the dead, and that there is a resurrection from the dead. Not just a life after death, but Paul's in the early Christian's message was a defeat of death and an overcoming of such. And, of course, the Greeks thought this was, I mean, this is totally went way out in left field because in Greeks who had a very Neoplatonic philosophy were all about the spiritual and returning to, to the one. And so you have Paul initiating these conversations. He gets invited to a public place. And from there, he basically begins to preach the gospel as, as we would consider it. And so I think that that is a reasonable example of how the two of, of how we can meet in the middle. Let's spend the remaining time giving brief answers to some of the questions of people that are watching. So those of you th- that have been watching, thank you so much, like I said, for joining us and engaging with this. Please send your questions. I'll start with this one that I pinned because I thought it was interesting. And I'll present it to you first, Joe. Who is true ministry going to offend more? Christians because it looks worldly or the world because it sounds preachy? I actually, thanks for asking this because it it brings me to context, right? The context of the times that Jesus was really upset uh, is always with religious elites, always. Every time Jesus is upset, every time Jesus flips tables, every time Jesus is making a whip and being physically upset, like you can see, is with the religious elite that are using religion, which which is the definition, right, of um, like, don't, don't use the name of the Lord in vain. That's the definition, using religion to abuse other people. So you can use whatever words you want to, or you cannot use any of the words. But if you're using religion to harm other people, you're using the name of the Lord in vain. And so I don't think like I don't think that it's supposed to be offensive in a harmful way. You know, misogyny is offensive. And a lot of people hide behind like, well, Jesus told us that the gospel was going to offend people. You know, it's those self-fulfilling prophecies. I am being prophetic and I am doing the work of God because people are offended. Jesus said that. Well, yeah, because you're being offensive. So I don't think it's about true ministry. Who is it going to offend more? But if you want anybody to be offended, it better be the powerful. Because every time Jesus offended anybody, it was the powerful, either the powerful elite or the powerful Roman Empire. So I'm okay if every Christian toxic pastor that is sharing toxic theology and misogynistic theology is offended with me. I'm absolutely fine with that. Now, if the marginalized are offended with me, and that includes the marginalized of other religions, that's problematic for me because Jesus didn't offend the marginalized. Jesus stood with them. So I don't I don't want to divide it between the world and the Christians, but instead the powerful and the powerless. And I am okay if the powerful are offended with me, but the powerless, no, I don't want them to be, I don't want to be offensive towards the powerless, hiding behind 
well, of God said we would offend people. That's very interesting. Yeah, that is an interesting distinction that you just made, where how we, you know, the, the distinction that was presented to you was that, well, are we offending the world or are we offending the church? And you said, well, <laughs> we should we should not be offending the world, so to speak. We should be offending right. those who are who are oppressive or are powerful over those uh, that are in the world and the church. Is that is that fair? We should be offending anybody that is harming entire people groups. Okay. You know? Yeah, I need to think about that uh, for a bit. That's interesting. Uh, Matt, do you have any brief thoughts about that? I actually love the way that, that Joe creates the new distinction there, because I think mm-hmm. that in in the context of Jesus, that it wasn't the difference between necessarily between the religious Jews or the non-religious Jews. It was simply between the religious elite and the poor. And you think of Matthew 25, and many times we always relate the concept of cosmic judgment in terms of a Pauline faith, when in Matthew 25, this idea of cosmic judgment is based on the things that were done in the name of Christ. Clothing, visiting, helping the sick, being with the poor. It's interesting because those who Christ turns away, they they respond to him and they say, we did all of these wonderful things in your name. And he says, "I, I will say to them on that day, depart from me for I never knew you. And so I, I, I would agree. I think that the offensiveness of Christianity should be twofold. I think, number one, that it should be offensive to, as Joe said, to the elite. But then at the same time, I don't think that our message should inherently be offensive, but that our life should be countercultural in the way that it rejects harmful norms that are harmful both to our relationship with God, but also in our relationship with one another. Here's my thoughts, because I want to wrap up here now that we're approaching the end of the hour. I think that one of the reasons evangelical Christians, because that's really my only context, is American evangelical Christians. That's what I understand. Uh, What I see around me are people saying that there needs to be urgency because— if you don't preach the gospel, they're going to hell. And so my motivation is my love for them not to go to hell. And so people use that as an excuse to do whatever means possible to share the the gospel message with people. But what I think happens is that's like putting the cart before the horse is because the greatest commandment in the, in the word is to love the Lord your God and to love one another. But... I, I think what what happens is they're saying, well, they're they're going to hell, so I got to save them. It's my job. And they put that urgency and the onus on themselves. And what happens is they, they flatten people. They do things brazenly without consideration for other people. I think we've come to a consensus here that we should definitely consider people when presenting the gospel. I think that should be something that we should all agree with. Because what I've seen, even in just my presentation of saying, hey, is this appropriate? With the whole movie theater, the guy preaching in the movie theater thing, I, I don't have a full context to that. So I'm not going to say yes or no. That might that might have been something that was appropriate in that context. I know I would be really uncomfortable if I was in that movie theater personally. But that my comfortability, I don't think, has anything to do with being offended. So that's where I'm kind of like on the fence as far as that whole movie theater thing. If a guy stands up in the movie theater and just starts screaming, personally, I think it's cringe. I think you can do a better job. I would not encourage people to do that unless it's something that's acceptable. If I may, yes, please. It may not be offensive to you because you are a Christian. So what you're saying is like, what he's saying is like, okay, I, I hear him. But imagine if a Muslim person did that, or if mm-hmm. a Jewish person did that, or if an atheist got up in the middle of a movie theater and started screaming that way, you'd be like, what the heck? Like, you know, it would come off different. <laughs> we have to bleep that. <laughs> oh, sorry, I apologize. It would be different. So sometimes our proximity makes us not recognize how it would be perceived by the outsiders, you know? Yeah. Uh, but But an atheist doing that, a lot of Christians would find very offensive. Yeah, 
I think so. I, th- I think the context is, is important. And also, you know, putting yourself in the context of saying, what if someone else did this? <laughs> what were we going to say, Matt? I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I agree. If I was in the movie theater sitting there listening, I would like you know, get up and walk over to me like this, man, I understand what you're wanting to do, but let me share with you a better way to do it. And I'm just, and, and if, if he's really that passionate about, preaching the gospel to people who are at a movie theater, then the right way to go about it would be to try to get a permit to maybe set up a table outside the movie theater in the parking lot with a banner on front of the table with maybe some some drinks and some snacks or something on it with big words saying, let's talk about Jesus or, or, or so, something like that. An, an invitation in a public space where the gospel can go forward and that they are ministering to the whole person. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I I think at least that's what I've come away from this conversation is, is hearing loving your neighbor. (laughs) Maybe, maybe listen to the, one of the first and foremost commandments, you know, love the Lord, your God, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Um, and, And it's, it is simple. I think that's simple. If you if you put that at the forefront of your decision-making process, I think we'll make better decisions in how we share the gospel. All right, I'm going to bring everything to a close here. I want to thank everyone for joining and watching. Joe, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Uh, and I apologize for if you've read any comments in here that, that may have been really offensive or, or um, not at all. just not really, <laughs> not very loving. I'm sorry about that. Uh, Matt, I appreciate I, I understand. you. I genuinely do. I appreciate you, Matt. Um, stepping in, he stepped in last minute. I literally texted him this afternoon. I, I appreciate conversations like this where we can come together and speak on a topic and learn from each other. So thank you all so much. Thank you both for uh, helping me put this together. If you want more of these type of discussions, please send me a DM and I'll see what I can do to organize more conversations like this so that we can hear one from one another and find a common ground. So, all right, that's it. Love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this. If you want to hear more discussions like this, where we have good faith dialogue on complex subjects, please send me an email at memesforjesus at gmail.com and we can talk about it. If you did not like this, send me an email. Let me know. I want to know what I can do to make this more enjoyable or informative, entertaining, whatever. Uh, Let me know. Thanks so much. If you want to hear the unedited version of this interview, you can become a Supercast member. That link is in the show notes of this episode, and it'll give you perks that are not available to the normies. And you also get goodies that we will send to you on a regular basis. So support this show if you want to see more of this type of thing and get goodies in the process. You can't beat it. All right. Have a great week.